Welcome back to another hour of Sky Shower. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, this is episode 148. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun evening. It's going to be brought to you today by New Belgium, <laughs> Tropic Force. Just joking. We don't get paid for that. Uh, I just really like the beer a lot. Uh, I call it Tropic Thunder, though. Uh, <laughs> you just can't go full R word. <laughs> <laughs> Never All go right. full R word. Never go full R word. Yeah. All right. So play, you're a white man playing the black man. I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> so, in any case, uh, this evening we will be reviewing a scotch, which uh, Jesse's going to be flipping a coin for. It'll either be the Bruclade Octomore 14.1 or the Glenfiddich Grand Cru, if I remember correctly. That's it. All right, and then our, uh, we'll have our shout-outs and get-it-togethers. Our, pizza, our uh, restaurant review will be Stefano's Brooklyn Pizza in Greenwood Village. And our topic for this evening is going to be the uh, ramifications of overcommitting. Uh, before we get started and have them flip the coin, um, just real quickly, thank you to all of our uh, subscribers uh, and listeners and viewers uh, on YouTube, Rumble, and the very many different uh, podcast platforms. We thank all of you, and uh, we appreciate your guys' support. Uh, please like, share, subscribe if you like our channel, and leave some comments down below. We greatly appreciate that. Scotch review. Well, with this week's scotches, man, go big or go home should definitely be the mo uh, the motto. Here we are flipping this coin to see if we are doing the Bruchladic 2023 release 14.1 or the Glenfiddich Grand Crew. Um, both very, well, reputedly exceptional scotches. Uh, the Glenfiddich from the Highlands in Scotland and the Bruchladic, um, based Octomore 14.1 from the Island of Isla. All right, without further ado, heads, we're doing the Bruchladic Octomore 14.1. Tails, it is the Glenfiddich. Heads it is. Well, it flipped twice, but heads it is. <laughs> so it is the Octomore 14.1. And this is sure to be a beast. A couple basics about this 2023 14.1 uh, edition of the Octomore. It is a super heavily peated scotch, again, from the island of Isla. Uh, 128.9 parts per million um, as far as that peated smoke. It is not uh, lean on the alcohol content. 59.6% per ABV. Um, Adam Hannett is the head distiller uh, for the Octomore at the Brooklotic Distillery. Um, the Brooklotic Distillery launched Octomore in 2008. And for this 14th year of the Octomore's running, we've got a 14.1, which we'll be drinking. They do also offer a 14.2, a 14.3, and a 14.4. Um, it is matured for five years in first fill American X whiskey casks. Um, and, and the distillery, something else to uh, know here, it is owned by Remy Cointreau, um, is one of nine working distilleries on the island of Isla. Um, and we have had a few. Uh, well, at least one other Brucolatic, the classic laddie in our past, um, but never the Octomore range. This is a highly coveted, super rare um, in the sense of they do not put a ton of this out. It is limited edition. Um, again, cast type, this one in particular, that X whiskey, American X whiskey, bourbon, um, the five years, the barley's origin, Scotland mainland. That's one of the things that they do is they really make sure that they, uh, uh, procure the best barley they can find um, and the variety is concerto uh, man i am excited for this one um, any other pieces you want to say about this octomore 14.1 about the octomore itself no because i i don't really have that much more to add to that 
Um, but as far as Brooklade goes, uh, we did try their Port Charlotte as well. So yes. that was that was also an excellent uh, bottle. Did um, not disappoint. They do make a, a range that is not peated. These are some of the super heavily peated, just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, as far as the tours go there, they are open seven days a week uh, from, uh, from April to October uh, from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Uh, now, we're not obviously in that time frame, so we're in the November to March time frame. It's, hours are still the same, 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., but only Monday through Saturday. They do offer one guided tour. It is about uh, one hour long, if I remember correctly, and it costs 15 uh, Great British Pounds. You're talking about like $16, $17 for the tour. Uh, and then you can be invited to a tasting afterwards. Now, they do have what's called the warehouse experience. Here, you get to sample three of their finest expressions from the cask. And uh, you also get a complimentary glass. It's 35 Great British Pounds. So here, you're talking about a little bit closer to $40. It's an hour and a half long. However, there is no tour included with that. So if you're going to do it, you might as well like set it up to do a tour and then follow it up with the warehouse uh, experience. So that way, you get a, get the tour which is just a general walkthrough of the place to kind of see how they do things. And they also included their gin in there, which uh, is a botanical gin. or the botanist. Bot botanist, yeah. Um, and so that you, you do get some information about that on their general tour of the uh, facility. Um, all right, back to you. All right, well, a couple other fun facts, as you mentioned about the Brucolade Distillery, um, they do have an annual output potential of 1.5 million liters a year, which sounds like a ton, but honestly, that is such a small fraction compared to the Glenfiddich. It doesn't really matter. Uh, what does matter, though, is we have like the classic Laddie, which is considered an unpeated uh, single malt scotch and is reputed to have a different tasting note every year because uh, they're just trying to make what's best possible from the barley. They do have two wash stills and two spirit stills. Uh, the wash stills are right at 12,000 liters each and the two spirit stills at 11,000 uh, liters. Um, but the biggest piece is they do use those to produce all of these just at different times. Now, one more thing about the Octomore. We mentioned this is the 14.1. If you did not connect the dots, um, last year's was the 13.1. Two years ago was the 12.1. So they do have their four different varieties um, that are available most years, if not all years. I don't know about some of their earlier years myself, uh, but last year's were the 13.1 through the 13.4. This year's the 14.1 through the 14.4. And assuming it continues on and on, next year's will be the 15.1 through 15.4. Well, without further ado, you ready to jump in, see what we can see? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I do want to say right off the bat, I love this tin. It's not just the colors. It's the fact that it's not cardboard. It is metal. Um, it is pressed. Um, it's got great coloring. And uh, it is impressive. They do consider this the impossible equation because they were trying to get the full um, flavor, delicate profile, uh, and balance between smoke, malt, cask, and maturation. Um, opening the bottle, the canister itself, it does have a tight seal. It's not one of those ones that just flips right out. Um, it comes out. The inside of the canister is... Uh, circled with a cardboard uh, crepe to keep the bottle safe. Very well done, honestly. And the bottle, for being a uh, less traditional but still somewhat close, that, that's a sexy bottle. It is, yeah, Dude, it's a this, sexy bottle. This is one of the best bottles I have seen in a long time. I think the last time I was this impressed with a bottle uh, was two years ago when we were doing the Game of Thrones series and we had the open Night's Watch edition. Um, just doing that extra piece. Um, but with that one, it was just a wrap. You could still see through the glass on the bottom because it was a wrap. This one is, it like is, a black actually, frosted or is actually black frosted. Whether it's paint, which 
I'm guessing not because otherwise it probably would have been rubbed off along some of that uh, corrugated cardboard in the center um, but or, or a true frost it is impressive so the 14.1 limited edition uh, and I love everything they have done with this bottle as we start to view the next step and we find out is this foil is it a wooden top and is it real cork let's move forward tell you what this foil's thick <laughs> man that's what this she is said. serious i love this this is not some uh weak little foil now, don't ruin dude, it by it, making it plastic. Dude, it's serrated beautifully, too. It tears super easy. Oh, man. It's not just wood. They made sure you knew it was wood and stained because you can see the actual oh, yeah. ribs in the wood. I'm loving that. Um, that is dynamite. Hey, please. Please be ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> and... Ah, yeah, solid cork. Thank you for continuing to save the foxes and the cork trees because when we don't harvest the cork trees, some people don't know this, it's actually not good for the trees because we've killed off so many of the foxes that used to uh, to uh, scratch away the cork, and that's what the cork trees need in order to grow and survive. One of those backwards things where we need bees to pollinate the other flowers even though we don't want to get stung. The nose. I'm assuming it has brine and vanilla. It has so much already. And this is very interesting because that is a much lighter shade of gray yeah. <laughs> than I would have expected. Mm. Smells good already. Fucking excited. <laughs> All right. Okay, it's time for our uh, warp speed and tastings. Cheers. Cheers. All right, the uh, Octomore 14.1 uh, from Brucolade. I am very impressed with this. Uh, you know, I think... You say that uh, all the time when we end the show that life is great. And how can you say life isn't great when you're tasting wonderful scotches like this one? I mean, it it was very, it's a very impressive scotch. I enjoyed it. And and I know you know this, and maybe not the listeners do or the viewers, but you, you actually, I think you enjoy scotch a lot more during off the show than I do. Uh, I don't drink nearly as much as you do of the scotches. <laughs> Um, but this one is a special scotch. I, this is a fantastic scotch. I uh, really do enjoy it. I'm going to start off with the packaging first here. Personally, I like all black. Oh, dude, it's uh, the tin is great. Uh, I love silver and black. I love gold and black. Uh, and it has all of that on there. And it's just, and, and the bottle is nice. It's, it's different. It's not what you typically, typically would get from a scotch bottle but it's it's flashy it's or like the word you like to use is is sexy i, I prefer flashy but justin timberlake brought sexy back with this <laughs> <Yeah>. bottle <laughs> bringing sexy back <laughs> uh i you know i can't say that this is a five out of five for me on the presentation it's a i, I can already tell you right now that's this is a black tie affair uh a scotch like hands down uh, it is not a game night scotch uh, because it's uh, it, it. Although it's something I would like to share with my friends <laughs> who drink scotch that participate in game night, I think in a game night maybe there's more debauchery going on. That I, I would rather have it more for like a close group of friends uh, enjoying the scotch as opposed to like doing a game night with possible debauchery going on. Now. Black tie affair, that says it all. I think it's a great, I think uh, whatever statement you want to make, it, this is going to make that statement for you uh, on a black tie affair. Now, going into the color, it has a nice light golden slash hay color here. I think maybe uh, if I'm going to steal from Jesse, it might be like, I think you say like a summertime blonde <laughs> or something like that. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a nice light colored gold. Or like I like colored uh, hay color. 
uh, very clear for the most part. I enjoy it. I think it's great looking. That also got a five out of five. Um, as for the bouquet or the nose, here I put it. Uh, I put Pete with leather uh, with Pete with leather brine and graham cracker, followed by hints of vanilla, citrus, and smoke. Which I really like the way it develops and the way it comes across and blends together. I really enjoy this. This is uh, one of the higher scores. It got a 29 out of 30 for me. And then with the palate, it, to me it starts off with sweet caramelized sugar with malt, honey vanilla, followed by brine, oak. And then earthy tones, uh, some earth tones and, uh, and spice. Uh, so that made for a really nice like body. Now the spice here, uh, the spice is kind of hit and miss for me. Sometimes it comes out a little bit more spice here than I like. Other times it's just the right enough spice. And I think it's just because we just opened up the bottle. It really hasn't found its uh, middle point yet. Uh, but it is, it is very tasty. And I gave it a 29 out of 30 points there as well. Uh, when it comes to the finish, the finish, I don't know. I think I, I wanted something different or something more out of the finish. But the spiciness, once it ends on the back end of the, your palate, for me, the spiciness does continue into the finish. But once it does, uh, once that does subside, it gives way to a nice buttery oak with honey, vanilla, and clove, which makes for a very nice, long, lingering, and tasty finish. Um, Although there was something in there that I wanted a little bit extra of, and I don't know what it is I wanted. So I couldn't give it a 29 out of 30. So I, it got a 28 out of 30. And that gives me a grand total of 96 points. Um, I think this is a great bottle. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I know it's a little bit more on the pricier side, but if you do find this 14.1, uh, I would advise you picking up a bottle uh, and definitely uh, having it for your collection. Does it have a place on your shelf? Most definitely. <laughs> um, and I already answered about the black tie affairs and all that other stuff. Uh, hands down, this is great. Uh, a great expression from Bruclade. Uh, um, and uh, I would love to see them make a lot, lot more of this because uh, it is uh, truly an enjoyable treat and an expression from them. Yes, I agree. Um Super happy, actually, right now that this coin, not that the other scotch wouldn't have been great, but then it landed on heads because <laughs> this has not disappointed at all. Uh, I'm going to start right where you started off, and that is with presentation. Hands down, a five. There is no question that this is a five for presentation. The color, man, I don't... Like, this is the impossible moon landing that never happened. That's what this is. This is what you wanted, even though you got, uh, you know, somebody else producing a fake moon landing. Uh, this is great, and that's all I can say is this is literally the, uh, the, the uh, liquid gold everyone looks for in a special event. That's what this color is to me, uh, the liquid gold you look for in a special event. Color Five out of five nose for me. Uh, man, this nose is pretty fantastic. Um, for me, the caramel is right at the beginning, followed by some smoked vanilla, smoky vanilla, and then the citrus cuts in sharp. And we're talking like lemon, but almost a creamy lemon, almost like a lemon meringue. Um, not not the egg white on top, just the meringue itself. Uh, a little bit of toffee, a little bit of leather. Um, and then here's what's interesting. I think there's just a hint of tobacco and barbecue pork in there. Uh, and it is great. The, the nose for me um, is getting a 28. Um, I did give the nose a 28, so one point lower than you there. Uh, for me, the palette, I, I am loving this palette. Bright, oh my God, beautiful, bright, citrus, 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 and it's mostly lemon, um, but I think there's the, there's a little bit of the clove coming out in there, um, followed by an earthy petrichor, charred oak, um, but that charred oak, 
from a bonfire uh, where you're burning all sorts of woods and you know there's some real oak in there. Um, and then that earthy smoke that comes from that toffee, more creamy vanilla. The slightest little hint of green apple. Maybe that's what you were talking about. Slightest little hint of green apple. But then as it finishes in the palate and it's getting ready to um, that finish... A teeny hint of coffee bean, like when you when you uh, have a roasted coffee bean in your mouth, um, clove, nutmeg, and honey. And this is where that natural honey flavor, uh, because of the clove and the nutmeg, really shine. The finish, all of those wonderful toffee and caramel flavors have transcended into butterscotch, more vanilla, peat, smoke. The salt spray is divine. Burnt leather. Uh, yeah, delicious. Um, so the palette for me at 29, the finish for me at 29. Um, my total was a 95. Um, so actually, that's not right. That's 96. I got a 96 too. Because math? Because math. I was just looking at it again and I'm like, I'm used to giving a presentation of four. And so I was doing all the math and I'm like, no, wait. So yeah, mine's actually a 96 too. Um, <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, so we actually did have the same score. Here's what's interesting about this score to me. I'm not saying there aren't better scotches out there, but there aren't many scotches I would say I'd rather drink, not even for a hundred or $200 more a bottle. And a prime example, as much as I love it, is the Dalmore King Alexander III. Um, part of this is because this has some of that rich Isla history um, from my drinking uh, years that I look forward to. And it's not for everyone, but man, I love a great peated scotch that's complex. doesn't matter that it's only aged five years. Who cares? You can't tell. Um, oh, it yeah. is beautiful. It reminds me of one of those fond memories where it's like the Lagavulin of old, the heavy peat, the smoke, the leather for days. Um, as Brian, one of our past guests and potentially a, a future guest again someday would say, oil. There's that <laughs> little bit of like oil in there. And that's real. But the citrus... The toffee, the vanilla, the caramel that, that turns into butterscotch as you go from nose to finish is all beautiful. 96 is well-earned. Um, black tie, hell yes. Like anyone comes into a black tie event with this, uh, that's the corner in the table I'm going to. Excuse me, uh, I'm at the wrong table. That's my table, right? Shit, right. no joke. Um, date night, I actually agree with you one heartily. It had better be a high rollers game night if you're taking this to it, because otherwise, leave it at home on a shelf for a special occasion. Um, not only is it limited release, as many a scotch is, ultimately, let's face it, most of the great scotches in particular are limited release, uh, but this one is unique to an extreme of my pleasure. And then, man, is there a spot for this on my shelf? Absolutely. <laughs> God damn it. There, I'll move other scotches aside, even some of the ones I may have or proclaimed as past favorites. This is Phenomenal. So yeah, a 96 and quite a treat. Um, it's not easy to find. You see it once a year, particularly the only times I ever see it at the beginning of the year, because once it's gone, you're waiting for the next year. So 14.1. Now I'll be looking for the 15.1 next year. It's time for our shout outs. All right, well, um, I'm not going to have any get-it-togethers this week. Just one shout-out. Okay. And it doesn't matter which side you're on. I don't even have to be on his side to say, well done, Trump, man. You came in rolling. Everyone thought you were out. Well, not everyone. Lots of people thought you were out. But even his uh, Republican competitors, all but one, have said, you know what? I was going to run for president, but here's what I can tell you. People in my own campaign speeches were telling me if Trump wasn't running, I would vote for you. And I respect that because my understanding is DeSantis was calling some of his donors and saying, hey, 
It's not that I didn't want to run and I don't want to run. It's that I don't want to waste your money or my time. I'm not, you know, I'm giving my pledge to Trump uh, because he's our best chance. And I just, I guess, so there's two there, two shout outs, one to Trump and one for DeSantis, one for Trump for having uh, the drive of an 18-year-old boy with a hard-on for being president again and for DeSantis for not wasting his donor's money. Uh, Really, seriously, both of you, cheers. Uh, that's a good one. I'll just jump on with that one there. And uh, I would say that Nikki Haley needs to uh, give up her. Uh, so you know which one I was talking about. <laughs> she needs to give it up. Because <laughs> uh, she is nowhere. She is so far behind. He's like, he, at this point now, with DeSantis going out, he, he's like well over 60%. And she's like way below. She's like maybe, if she's lucky, like 30%. Uh, there's no way she's going to win the Republican nomination. All she's going to do is just kill time and waste people's money. And that's what she's not afraid to do is waste people's money. And that's why I really like DeSantis. Hats off to you. Um, smart man. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that. Shout out to both of them. Trump and DeSantis. So I have no I have no shout outs because I'm going to jump on yours. Um, but I do have... Uh, Three quick uh, get-it-togethers. <laughs> All right. And I'm not going to really dive too much into either one of, uh, any of one of these three. I'm just going to say what they are and, and hopefully not go down too much of a rabbit hole with these. So, number <laughs> one, this is going out to Denver Health. Get it together. <laughs> or, or even our governor at, here in Colorado. Because now they're creating a biolab in Fort Collins. Uh, some reports say it's Colorado Springs, but I really do think it's in Fort Collins. This new bio lab is going to be working with Ebola. Uh, I believe uh, this is supposed to, this, this is like uh, going to be an illegal gain of function type of research, which they should not be doing on U.S. soil. Uh, but in any case, any soil, <laughs> or they should they shouldn't be doing it anywhere. But in any case, uh, the uh, the Denver Health officials have been starting to take. Uh, a Mercer uh, Ebola vaccine, which has a 31.7% uh, shedding rate. This means that the live virus of Ebola can be shedded onto other people randomly if these officials uh, go to like restaurants or shopping and stuff like that. And then you will have a bunch of unexpected people who are going to come down with, with Ebola. And now the Denver health officials are suspecting that they're going to have an Ebola outbreak. I wonder why. I hope they don't. Let's just face it. We don't want that many people <laughs> no, we getting don't. that sick or dying. Number two, airlines. What the F, man? How do you guys not maintain your wings and put the nuts and bolts back where they go? Uh, today, uh, there is a, uh, a Virgin Airline uh, airliner uh, flight that was uh, canceled. That was supposed to go from... Manchester to New York and one of the passengers spotted on the wing missing nuts or bolts or whatever. <laughs> How do you guys screw this up? <laughs> now, this has now been multiple airlines with multiple uh, uh, airplanes missing nuts and bolts. What the F are you guys doing? Get your act together. Number three, the U S Supreme court. What the heck are you guys doing? You guys rule five to four in favor of the federal government to allow uh, the uh, Border Patrol to cut up and take down the barbed wire fence that was protecting our border that the Texas National Guard or Texas Rangers have put up to protect our border. They kicked you guys out of that area because you weren't doing your job and stopping people from coming into our into our country illegally in the first place. So Texas stepped up to do it. And now the U- U.S. Supreme Court is saying that they side with the federal government. Whatever happened to states' rights? What happened to protecting the U.S. population, to protecting Americans, protecting our soil, protecting our sovereignty, protecting our borders? So... U.S. Supreme Court, U.S. government, Border Patrol, all of you guys need to get your act together. Well, furthermore, who owns that property in Texas? Technically, it should be Texas. Or Texans. Or Texans. So if it's my property, hey, don't you dare tear down my fence. I have rights, even if I'm not the state. I'm an individual. Like, there are other pieces that are at play. And what I mean by this is... And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far either. (laughs) But if some fool starts taking down my fence, you're damn right an action is going to be taken. (laughs) Right? 
Because it's my fence protecting my property, not your property. You want to protect your property, put it on the other side of Texas. <coughs> or take down the invisible fence on the other side of Texas that doesn't have to exist because Texas put one out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any uh, get-it-togethers? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one alone this week. All right. Hey, I'm actually really proud of ourselves. <laughs> we, like, there's those are three heavy ones right there, along with your uh, shout outs. Uh, we could have really gotten out a huge, like, yeah, man, we kept uh, like 10 minutes, not 50, <laughs> like normal. <laughs> All right, this week's restaurant review Stefano's Brooklyn Pizza. Now, this is right there uh, at Dayton and Arapahoe Road. It is the uh, southeast corner of Dayton and Arapahoe. Um, and we have visited uh, that sub place. No, so, so, but the Philly cheesesteak place there. That's Philly cheesesteak. That's Philly cheesesteak. That was a win, by the way. Um, I think as far as chili, Philly, Philly cheesesteaks, um, that still go, kind of goes down as a destination. Whereas I, uh, we're about to find out where this pizza place will land. Starting with the outside, the uh, parking lot still is atrocious. <laughs> uh, and I'm saying still because like, we talked about that parking lot before when we talked about Pat's uh, Philly cheesesteak. It has potholes. It's not well maintained. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, they just need to get that fixed. Uh, it's not well lit, even though it's right there on a corner of a uh, of a major uh, intersection, I guess. It's kind of a major intersection. It's kind of a busy intersection. Yeah. Uh, it could be a little bit more well lit in that parking lot. Uh, and I think for what this restaurant wants to do, because they have, like, enough space inside to have like diners. There's not really like that parking lot's really not made for people to be dining in there. Uh, so the, yeah, there's something I think needs to be done with, uh, unless I'm not saying it's a bad location, but it's a bad location just because like, a, depending on what you want to do, if you want it to be just like a takeout pizza place, then that location might not be that bad. Um, when you go inside, it looks, uh, it looks presentable. It's nice. It's, uh, I don't know. They have like a couple TVs. This is where I thought it was a little bit weird. They had two <laughs> TVs up. Actually, had three, but two of the TVs were on sports, and one TV was on Gordon Ramsay's uh, <laughs> kitchen, kitchen hell, or whatever it is. Uh, which I thought it was a little weird. Like, what kind of like what what are you kind of doing here? Like, what what are you aiming for? Like, one was on football. One was on a sports talk show, and another one's on Gordon Ramsay. I'm like, what? What's your theme here? Like, what are you trying to do? What, like, uh, what's your image that you're trying to go for here? Because uh, if it's trying to be New York, Brooklyn, I'm not sure if that really fits it anywhere in that. Uh, any, like, maybe the sports TVs do, but I don't know. Maybe Gordon Ramsay does too. I have no idea. Maybe they're trying to watch it to fix their own kitchen. Maybe. Um, now the pizza we did. We got the 16 inch uh, Supreme pizza. Um, I would say I, I like the pizza, but it's not my favorite pizza. Um, I thought the uh, cheese was, it was tasted great. Uh, I thought the uh, veggies seemed fresh and they had a nice flavor to them. The meat toppings, um, I wouldn't say the meat toppings were anything special. I couldn't really tell like, uh, like to me, they just seem like normal, like pizza toppings that you would get from like any other pizza joint. Um, the crust is supposed to be thin and to me, I think that the middle of the crust or like, I mean, you know, like the, the point of your pizza, uh, seemed a little bit too soggy and droopy. Didn't really hold its form too well. Um, and I think sometimes with New York pizzas, that's kind of true. Uh, but I would have liked it to be a little bit more crispier. Um, but that could have been due to like all the fresh veggies from a Supreme pizza being on a thin crust. So overall, I thought the food, I thought the pizza was like, I thought it was a, a, a good seven. I'll give it a seven. Um, the the location, I'm giving that like a, a five. It should be more like a four, really. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's a four on the location. Like the, the, the corner itself is not a bad corner. It's just I think the location where it's at in the uh, strip mall area is really bad. It's terrible. Uh, so yeah, location area is about a four. That kind of goes along with the outside. Uh, the food, like I said, that's an eight. 
the service, uh, I don't know. That's like, I, I, it wasn't good and wasn't terrible, but it's not like a sit down place and it wasn't quite fast foodie either. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that. So I'm going to give that a six. Um, overall, uh, the one thing I do have an issue though, and I, and maybe I'm totally wrong in this and, uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like there were a bunch of, there was like a bunch of employees that were hanging up up front and, I'm not sure like what that was all about. Like to me, like that, sh that spot should have been open to, uh, to patrons. If, if they were to have patrons there, you know, I get, I got the impression it was part of the family of delivery, whoever's, uh, it, it, because it be. literally I saw one of the guys park there and then go into the kitchen and then come out and park at the table, so to speak, but park in the parking lot before going to the kitchen with a Chick-fil-A cup and refilling it at the Diet Coke machine, which really offended me, honestly, because I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not the biggest fan on food safety, but when I went and got my Diet Coke, some super sticky goop poured out of the Coke machine onto my hand, and I had to go wash it off because it felt like fucking honey. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I think overall the place, I give it, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to be a little bit generous here. Actually, I'm not. I'm just going to give it a six. I'm gonna give it a six. It's to me, it's not a destination spot. I do want to go back though and try like one of their other dishes just to make sure I'm not being too harsh on it. Because um, I, I did like the pizza, but once again, there's enough things that happening on the that, on the aesthetics uh, and other stuff that kind of didn't really make it. Like it definitely wasn't a destination spot, um, but it is better than like maybe getting like a, a Papa John's or a Pizza Hut or a Domino's, you know. So. Um, but if I'm going to be driving there for, if I'm going to be driving for, to get a pizza, um, instead of going to Arapahoe and Dayton, I'm going to go up dry Creek, which is only like, I don't know, maybe you're talking about maybe a quarter mile to half a mile difference, probably in, di in, in distance, if even that, uh, but I'm going to go to Marco Marco's, uh, coal fire coal fire pizza pizzeria there and they have they have a much better like much better ingredients their crust is not soggy it's just a much better much better and more well done pizza and uh, and that's a destination spot where this place isn't literally my note go to marco's <laughs> is it i'm not even kidding <laughs> marco's coal fired pizza go to <laughs> <laughs> all right as noah mentioned a uh, part of the reason we wanted to try this establishment is because we had been to uh, pat's philly cheesesteaks which is literally right next door in the same parking lot there's actually a ton in that parking lot including sportsbook bar and grill um which also had a better score than this place which also has a better position in this place uh, more parking better parking easier parking more well lit um, although even at night it's pretty damn dark whoever's running this parking lot is not taking care of their tenants and i'll bet that if we look at it i don't have to bet we've seen it the tenant turnover has been rampant um, and so if you guys want to pay any attention hey maybe invest in a little bit more lighting led isn't what it used to cost you to run those uh, 10 000 watt halogen bulbs to light up a chunk of the parking lot now you're spending about 100 watts to light up the same area it's pretty fantastic uh so with this supreme pizza we didn't go with a ton of extras and thank god we didn't because we both walked out of their stuff and not even wanting to finish the last bites that we did which is a good sign um so i'm gonna start with the value for me ultimately uh the two of us two sodas one 16 inch pizza um, walking out for about 13 dollars each value was a 10 that was one win for me i can cannot take my kids to Chipotle and get out for less than $13 a person, uh, which is impressive because that's just a burrito. This was pizza. It's pretty damn good burrito. But um, service, I gave service a nine because the young lady who was at the counter was polite. She was patient. She uh, knew exactly what we told her. We were looking for the pizzas on the back of the menu, um, was helpful as the best she could, took our order, brought it out to us. So I didn't mind that we did pay uh, the tip. Um, not a full 30% tip that we would normally give, but a tip because she actually did bring it out to us. Unlike Bojo's, which just called us to the counter, that still pisses me off paying 20%. Also, that was this was a $20, you know, $6 pizza. That was $48 or whatever it was, and we paid a 20% tip on getting our own pizza there. Bullshit. Okay, so service was a nine. Environment, I'm right there with you. Environment, a five. Um, 
the environment being the parking lot, the exterior predominantly, it is not convenient. Potholes. Uh, thank God, since Noah drove, that he did not lose a wheel or a tire in one because we saw a couple beasts. Again, the, the, the landlords are not taking care of the tenants. Atmosphere inside, um, it wasn't bad. It looked like an old subway shop, possibly. The only reason it gets a six, which is a fairly low score in our eye, uh, in my eye in particular, is because every time that damn door opened, I got cold and I was wearing a sweatshirt the whole time. And it, you said when we left, it was only 46 degrees. 46 isn't that cold in Colorado. I should not have been feeling so damn cold. Um, so atmosphere A6. And again, uh, whether they were business associates or not, like why were they just running around in the corner of the, the locale not eating? Um, the black olives Great. Green bell pepper. So these are some of the ingredients on the Supreme Pizza. Great. Um, thin crust. The crust itself, not great. Uh, man. Sausage. Onions were good. Sausage was mediocre. The mozzarella, I felt, was like whole milk mozzarella. That It was great. They did a little bit of seasoning on there. The sauce on the pizza, on the crust, um, I, I thought might have... Could have used a little more flavor. Uh, but again, the ham was pretty much straight up ham. So overall, the food still a pretty good score. Uh, and eight because the first piece was delicious. But man, I hit my satiation point early. And after the first piece, the next three pieces got incrementally worse with each one. Actually, uh, man, tangent worse. Uh, total score for me is 7.8. Would I meet a friend there? Yeah, but I'd go to the sports book first or Pat's first. Um, if they were both full and I had to wait and I didn't have to wait to go eat here, guess what? I'm still waiting for a pizza. I still might go there just not to wait. Uh, destination, absolutely not. Go to Marco's Coal Fire Pizza. Pay the extra $10 for the same meal, which I think is probably what it would cost. Uh, but you would have the option of beer, and that's part of that $10 or wine. Also part of that $10. Uh, would I take a date to this location? No. Um, there is nothing sexy about this restaurant. It is the opposite of this scotch. It is not sexy. Uh, it makes me want to go crawl into the bathroom, which I almost did. So, uh, yeah, not a With the shower on and crying in the... In the <laughs> and I don't know why I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I went in with high hopes and that first piece was good and every piece it literally went from man this first piece of pizza is pretty damn good this is like a solid eight out of ten and the second piece was like man okay this is still a six out of ten and then four out the of the utils dropped and then at the end i'm like why am i eating this i just don't want to take it home <laughs> And I didn't leave half that down. I, I basically ate the toppings and left the crust on my plate for my last piece because the crust was that mediocre, I think is a fair word. Marcus Coalfire, we'd be back. So this week's Smarter Challenge centered around being self-aware and not overcommitting with the emphasis of why is it so important to not overcommit, um, but more important to find a balance of committing enough. So there is overcommitting. There's also undercommitting. Where do you find this balance? What are the negative ramifications? What are the positive ramifications of either side? Um, and then ultimately, do you have any examples of movies and how that might pertain to real life? Well, actually, I, I didn't really connect the whole movies portion. So I'm actually just going to use like my own real life. That's perfect. Because movies, believe it or not, unless you're looking for it, it's super hard to find. Um, except in a couple quick examples, which I'll give, which it's not like you're finding a movie about overcommitting. Oh, wait, every relationship is about not overcommitting and committing enough. Like that is the, the fact of the matter. And 80% of the movies out there are about relationships. <laughs> so with that, um, yeah. Um, you want to shoot first with one of your examples or, or reasons and important to not overcommit, but important to commit enough. Yeah. So I think here when it comes to like overcommitting, um, 
I think when I was doing a self analysis of this, uh, it is a lesson I've learned previously, but it's also, uh, obviously it's like an Achilles heel because I see it trip me up often enough to where I, I fall into the same, uh, uh, same pit holes. One of them is the ability to say no. Uh, I think when sometimes when, at least for me, or like, I think also for other people, when they overcommit, they don't want to let somebody down. Exactly. And so therefore they, uh, they have a hard time saying no to somebody and not reason, not really like realizing or taking into account that they should say no. And by them saying no, it actually, uh, is better not only for them, but also for the people that they're telling no, even though the person they're telling no to might be disappointed. Um, and, uh, so I think just learning to say no is a, uh, is a big, is a big thing there when it comes to not over committing. Um, and I, I know I have done that in my life. In fact, I'm almost on the verge of almost like repeating that again. Like I've already repeated it already up until this point. Um, but I started like doing some tutorings again and, uh, my schedule started to fill up and now I got to be careful that I don't allow it to, uh, ruin this week here for me. So, uh, I, so to me, this is a, a great time to look at, at this particular spot of, uh, of, of not falling into this, <clears throat> I guess, uh, trap of, uh, of not saying no. Like I, I need to be able to say no when I know my, my schedule is getting too full for me to, uh, fully commit not only to the learners I'm, I'm going to be tutoring, but also the other obligations I have in life. Uh, the other part when I was doing my self analysis, when it comes to over committing, has to do with um, being disciplined. I think uh, what ends up happening sometimes when people overcommit and then uh, if they are not disciplined in what they're doing, meaning that they're staying on task, like uh, if they sometimes like, and I know uh, occasionally I go through that whole like uh, that dog from uh, that TV uh, cartoon movie Up, where he's like, he's like talking, whatever, and he sees a squirrel, he's like, squirrel, and then he goes after that squirrel, right? And then, and then you start going off and doing something else. And then, uh, but uh, I think when you make a commitment and part of you not overcommitting yourself uh, and letting people down is you have to be, uh, you have to be able to be disciplined uh, enough to finish or do what you say you're going to do. Uh, because what ends up happening when you overcommit, at least uh, from my self analysis, is that one, you're letting somebody down. Then they start to then they start to uh, uh, lose trust in your word that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And then trust is a hard thing to build, but it's easy to lose. And uh, and if you start getting into a bad habit of it going over and over, and like I said, I've I've uh, I've committed this. <laughs> Uh, especially a lot last year in 2023, uh, it, it started off with a, uh, you know, with uh, with some deaths in my, in my in my family, and then all of a sudden, like I allowed that to affect other things, and then I became undisciplined, and then I started overcommitting myself to other things and not getting it done. So uh, this is something that I've I've learned it in the past. I got better at it but then i fell back into the trap and i think this is like one of those demons that you always have to be back and be aware of uh in order so that way you don't fall back into those old traps i think you got a great point there and when you look at this so why do people overcommit? and this is a different this is kind of basically saying honestly the same thing you just said uh phrasing it a little bit differently for how some others might more easily understand um, why people overcommit. number one like the bottom line is people pleasing so as opposed to learning to say no why i overcommitted because i can't say no it's i'm overcommitting because i want to say yes because i want to please this person now this is dangerous in three different main folds. One being you overcommit to yourself. You're trying to please yourself. Man, I'll just have one more bottle of Octomore because, uh, yeah, then after that, when I can't remember my name, I'll go work out. 
Probably not going to happen, although I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, people pleasing at work. You want to say yes to your boss. Um, And there's a a bifold here. So you want to say yes to your boss. Your boss asks you to do something or a peer asks you to do something or an an employee uh, subordinate asks you to do something and you want to make them happy. So you say yes because you're trying to please that person again as opposed to saying no. Um, but the people-pleasing piece is multifactured, and then also fractured from the boss one in particular. Um, there is also the piece where some of your boss is like, this needs to get done, and you just jump in, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, <laughs> right? Um, yep. Which I have absolutely been accused of. Um, Marissa was good at accusing me at that once, and she was 100% right, damn it. I hate it. <laughs> so anytime I can say it back, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that is a big piece. Um, another reason we really do this same thing though, with loved ones for ourselves or for peers and work associates or bosses is we want recognition. I'll do it. And then as opposed to going home after 10 hours, I'm there for 15, but God damn it, I got it done. And then more often than not, we are disappointed by the recognition from ourselves, um, from our boss, and definitely um, from our loved ones in most cases. Because usually when we go the extra mile, we got to remember it's a gift, and most people cannot remember that. The third one, this is where I don't think you touched a whole lot of base. And I think this is true for many people, um, and, and we've talked about this in different statutes as well, different signs, male versus female, or whether you associate with a male or a female, or whatever it may be. Um, so different groups, pride. We overcommit because of our pride. Oh, no, I, I got that. God damn it. I'm going I'm to make this good. And then all of a sudden, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been guilty there once or twice. Definitely. Like, God damn it. I, I got this. And then all of a sudden you get into it. You're like, fuck, what did I just get myself into? Right. And so I love that you just said that. So I'm just going to throw out a couple quick little examples <laughs> of movies where there's like an example brief quick example of overcommitting. um one being ice age you got the damn sloth and then there's the egg i got it i got it i got it i don't got it right uh, one example here's another example of overcommitting. the movie elf i love this movie right world's greatest cup of coffee what does it taste like? Tastes like a shitty cup of coffee. <laughs> Overcommitted, world's greatest. Um, and then there's another one. And this one I think is great. Um, it's a little off the wall. And it is when different people, actors, people, we all overcommit in different ways. But Jimmy Fallon once had Shaq on his show. And this is for the whole uh, lip sync contest. And Shaq, Shaq's songs were Don't Break My Heart and My Prerogative versus Jimmy Fallon. Well, Shaq, he's not some great actor. He is not known for that. He is known for being big and having a presence. He did damn good during this skit. So if you ever get a chance to watch it, watch it. It's interesting. More often than not, he's rocking Jimmy Fallon like a baby because Jimmy <laughs> Fallon is a baby size comparison-wise. But Shaq... Here's what Shaq was great at, and here's where the overcommitting, he like knows his boundaries as far as his abilities. He, without Jimmy Fallon knowing is how it's portrayed, he, without Jimmy Fallon knowing, uh, called in a favor and had Pitbull come in <laughs> on the Jimmy Fallon show to make Shaq the ultimate rock star again. So we're talking about Shaq, right? We're talking about NBA superstar champion, uh, winner, Here's the important piece to me, and here's where it is, is like, Shaq, you can consider it overcommitting to go and be like lip-sync competing with Jimmy Fallon, who probably practices hours every day to, to, for this competition, right? Like, he probably does. That's his job. Shaq absolutely does not. But what Shaq knew he could do that Jimmy Fallon didn't do was call in a favor from people. And I thought that that was great because it shows that there are ways to, yeah, I know I'm going to be doing this, but you know what? I'm going to bring in something that they aren't expecting. And even though I am over committing to my ability to perform uh, two unknown great songs, I know who can perform real well. Fitball. <laughs> I think you make a great point here. I think once you realize that you've overcommitted, or you know that you have overcommitted, or when, or once you, you know, however you get to that point, is that be humble enough to ask for help. Hell yeah! 
Uh, I think that's and that's that's where I think uh, 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 where I didn't touch on it before, but I think really comes into play now is the pride factor because. Yeah, you might be, you might, you might do, you might overcommit because of pride factor. But once you are overcommitted, whether you didn't do it out of pride or whatever you did for some other reason, but once you do realize you're overcommitted and you're not going to make a deadline or whatever, uh, or you're not, are you going, or you know, you're, there's a high probability you're going to let people down. That's the point where you need to become humble enough and and grow enough or be secure enough in yourself to be to ask someone for help to to for you to meet that goal or meet that obligation that you overcommitted to. Uh, and that's really tough to do. It is. And so along those lines, similar to me, you know, like one of the areas in my life where I have found I overcommit the most, it's to myself in essence, because I'm not promising anyone else I'm going to do this, but I make a hiring decision, whether it's a promotion or someone, and I want to see this person succeed. So all of a sudden I'm working harder than they are at their job. And almost inevitably and this just happened actually again today where i look at myself and i I like literally have to go look at myself in my mirror and be like do you want this more than they do because if so guess what just own that you made a bad promoting idea or a bad hiring decision and like you can't want it more than they do like at this point it's time to uh man cut bait cut bait it's time to let it go. It's time, like, don't let the whole ship sink just so you can reel in Jaws, who's going to eat you anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that is truly for me, and I think that's a big piece, you know, as we've been going through this cycle. If you haven't seen episodes four four weeks ago, we talked about uh, learning from your own past. And for me, that's something that I had to learn is, yeah, guess what? I historically do this because when I make a decision, I want to own it. And I feel like I should own it. And then I go the extra mile to my own detriment in most cases until I get to the extent of I want this job for them more than they want it for them. And it's not my job. Like that's their job. That's why I hired them. I got to, it's not so much cut bait. I got to stop carrying the weight. Yeah. And I think you made a good point there too. uh, When you said that you have to own your mistake. The moment that you own your mistake and you say, hey, I messed up and you let everyone know that you messed up they can't hold that against you anymore because at that point after you said like yeah i made an error i screwed up i apologize about it there's nothing that they can say to you or do to you after that point that you haven't already said or done for yourself and i mean sure i, I guess if it that worked they could probably still fire you or whatever maybe maybe is that there's that possibility but the thing is that you owned it and once you've owned it uh you can move on yeah not saying they will all the time not hold it against you, but you know they can't hold it against you from the standpoint where you didn't own it. Right. So you no longer feel that pressure. Um, a couple of little pieces here is they've done a lot of surveys and they've uh, surveyed people in work. And I don't know where this is because 60 things seems like nothing to get done in a week. Uh, for me, I think I, I do hundreds of things a day, but they went to some different workplaces and they surveyed a bunch of employees at all different levels. And they said, hey, what's the average number of things you think you can accomplish a week? Something that was very interesting to me is that the average number was 12 a day or 60 a week. So 12 a day, if the average person is working 10 hours a day, most people don't work 12 hours a day, more than likely most of these people were working eight hours a day. So let's base this out of eight hours a day. That means the average person is getting one and one half things done every hour. Seems pretty simple. Seems pretty doable unless it's a big project. I know you've got some big projects you work on. I don't know the details. I just know you have projects that are not something you're going to knock out in an hour and a half. But some some of these things are a 30-minute conference call. Um, So when they're talking about these 60 things they do in a week, some of them are a 30-minute meeting, a 60-minute meeting, a 30-minute conference call, a 15-minute status, all these different things that up and make space for the bigger ones. They said, however, the average person in the same group said, on average, they commit to 75 to 100 things, 75 being uh, more of the average or the low ball. Um, And so looking at that, the average person in their survey ultimately overcommitted 15 times a week. And what that does is it builds a lot of 
personal stress. Now that number, the average being 75, um, the, the group range, as far as there were some that were way off the bat or way off the case, I'm sure, but 100, 100, so 40 40 over committings by some of these people was the case. And along with those, the more a person overcommitted, the more their stress went over. So 75, these people felt stress. 82, 83, 85, they felt very stressed. 100%, they're so stressed, they're about to have a coronary. Um, and life's terrible. And the more stressed they got, they found, the less likely they were to succeed at the original 60, let alone this extra 40 because they just started spinning their wheels and worrying about what they weren't getting done as opposed to getting something done. Um, the one last thing I would say around this whole range is the average consensus is that the best way uh, to really plan your day and focus on uh, accomplishing what you need to accomplish and not overcommitting is at the beginning of each day, at the end of each day, look at your calendar, look at your tasks, do a quick prioritization, what has to get done, what uh, might be able to be put on a back burner and be aware of those so that, hey, I've already got 12 things to do today. That's all I can do today. I can't take on anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't really have much more to say that. I mean, every, <coughs> everything that I, I wanted to say, I pretty much already said. As far about as far as overcommitting and what it like what like some of the pitfalls I see happening and and also um, some of the detriments of it. Yeah, the last thing I will say, and then we can move on to next week's smarter challenge, is the masters in this class. Uh, in some of my years of experience, are the ones who know the things are going to be asked of them who therefore, before those things are asked of them, they make plans to open their time and find resources. So once that thing is asked from them, so we all want to be people pleasers. Actually, I don't know that we all do. I like to be a people pleaser. So when my boss, when I know my boss is going to come to me asking me for something, already making a mental plan, free up time, open calendar, set things over, accomplish other tasks quickly, easily, um, get ahead of the ball, so to speak. And then when that task is asked for, if you want to be a master of people pleasing, be ready for when they ask it, already have the plan, accomplish the task, send proof, move on, and know you won the day. I did that today. Good. Good for, good for winning the day today. Good for not overcommitting. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it's, I think it's, part of that, I think uh, to kind of sum that up is just know your limits. Um, part of it's knowing your limits. And then the other piece of it is also, for me, is just being aware of what are the problems, not only for yourself, but those around you and be ready to help in a sense of, hey, like, I know this is coming. They need me to wash their car. They need me to make dinner. They're going to be stuck here. They need a ride to school. They need a, a ride to work, whatever these things may be. They need $300 for contacts. Um, being ready for those things so that when it comes, you've already got a plan. Um, part of that's being resourceful. Part of that is also, uh, like part of it is having to set your pride aside to think you're so damn good that you can just accomplish everything and anything that's thrown at you, knowing you can't. Um, you've already opened up space. Like I leave time on my calendar knowing some bullshit might come my way and I want to be ready to tackle it. All right. Anything else? That was it. That's it. All right. Well, <clears throat> next week's topic is, uh, we are going, uh, our topic is going to be operation high jump. Uh, and I believe this is, this, if I, I think I got the right Admiral's name, but it's going to revolve around Admiral bird. Uh, so this could tie in uh, his encounter of the uh, German UFOs in Antarctica and possibly even hollow earth theory. So I think uh, that all is kind of intertwined with Operation High Jump. I figured that would be a kind of a fun discussion. All uh, right. Yeah. So it'll take, uh, I'm sure, I mean, I know you have some information on it, like I do, but uh, it'll be kind of nice to do some research and uh, have a good discussion, I think, on, the, on that. Absolutely. 
Um, all right. Uh, for everyone who uh, made it this far, thank you for viewing and watching us on YouTube, Rumble, and or listening to us on one of the many different podcast platforms. We do thank all of you for listening or watching us today uh, or whenever you do watch us. Please leave uh, any comments down below. Uh, like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We would greatly appreciate all that. And uh, Jesse will close us out. Yeah, like I'm just sitting here thinking, la, 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 life got, is great. Octamore. 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 Remember that. Uh, seriously, if you're one of my friends and you watch this episode and you want to try this, because uh, I know some of you guys that are close to me or work with me do. I won't mention any names on the air, but if you ever do, uh, let me know ASAP because this one's going to be on the shelf for a little while and uh, pours will be given to those that uh, leave comments and want to sip. <laughs> Other than that, please do remember, life is great. Do not drink and drive. Keep life great. Um, don't risk those pieces. Uh, part of what makes life great is remembering um, if you're not learning, you're probably dying. And the other version of that is if you're not growing, you're dying, uh, which is true. The moment you stop growing physically, you start dying. Uh, cells start aging. But just like that with your mind, keep growing your mind so those younger kids don't outpace you just because they finished their high school and got their diploma. <laughs> what have you got? That's it. I already said my portion. All right. So like, share, subscribe. Uh, man, there's so much out there. YouTube, Podbean, all these things. Uh, remember, please do give us feedback. We will use it. Greatly appreciated. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I'd, I didn't overcommit as I'm like planning throughout the next week. Uh, but in my mind, remember again, life is great. And until next week. Scotchman! Cheers. Cheers. And this week's episode is brought to you by Booty Ranger, Tropic Force. All right. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.